I became the executive director of Waypoint Church Partners when we uh, moved away four years ago, which is the organization that helped start this church uh, 12 years ago. Has it been 12 years? Uh, 2006 to 12 years ago, all right? And, um, and so uh, since we left four years ago, we've got a, uh, we've got a map here of uh, since we left four years ago, here's all the churches that we've helped start uh, since 1990. But uh, I think you all would be, which is a great thing. Thank you, Cheryl. Well, uh, well, the cool thing is, is since we left, we've started 10 new churches in the last four years. And when I say we've started, we, we've started 10 new churches since we left because it's all the churches that help us do what we do, like Velocity, that helps us to do that. And so, uh, and, uh, so we have started 10. The churches on, represented on this map, it, uh, well, one thing that we're really proud of is we're trying to reach new people and not just kind of shuffle the sheep or shift the saints. And so the pictures on this map uh, this past year, actually in the last two years, have baptized more than 1,000 people in just the last two years. And so that's, we're really proud of that. You should be proud of that, that you're part of a church that really cares about not just this church and this building, but starting a lot of churches like Velocity all over the, the Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, the churches on that map that you see there have grown uh, as a group uh, more than, uh, than 4,000 over the last four years. So as a group, they're growing about 1,000 new people a year as a group. And so that's really cool. We're starting a, a new church this next year. Uh, you can see right there the, the star rather than the dot, uh, Jacob's Well in Midlothian here in the Richmond area. And uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob's Well Community Church and Jonathan Vandermark and his fr family have visited here uh, at least once and uh, multiple times, I believe. They're, he's actually preaching in another one of our church plants this, mor uh, this morning. I wish he could have been here. Uh, I want to tell you that when he visited here, I asked him his impressions, and he wrote back and, and told about all these great things about how well his kids were taken care of and how warmly they were welcomed and a number of things that we value for all of our church plants when visitors guess kind of as secret shoppers. But for Velocity, they had all great things to say about Velocity in their visit here. So that you should be commended for that. And uh, so um, not only do we plant churches in this area, uh, but uh, we serve uh, the, the churches that are in our region that are part of our church family, part of our tribe. And uh, since we left uh, four years ago, our organization has grown. We were Virginia only for 70 plus years, and now we're in Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, <coughs> a little bit in Tennessee and West Virginia. So we've grown from 240 churches to almost 500 churches that we're trying to serve. And so I, I've got a full day every day when I wake up uh, trying to figure out how we and our staff can help serve churches like Velocity all over the region. And so it's a lot of fun to do that. We're, we're, we're really glad you're here that, that we count you as our church home in, in a lot of ways. And uh, so thanks for having us back. So we're going to talk about uh, famous last words today. We're finishing up the book of Acts, and I want to look at the not just the last words of the book of Acts, but literally the last word of the book of Acts uh, to finish up today. But to, to start that off, I thought I'd start off with a joke that I heard this week. Uh, can I start off with a joke? I don't know if it's any good. You'll, you're going to be my test, all right? But it's a famous last words joke. Uh, a Catholic priest and a rabbi and a preacher walk into a bar. Uh, Actually, that's not, not the joke. Let's say they're at Chipotle, but you got a priest, a rabbi, and a preacher, and uh, and they're having lunch, and, they're t and the discussion turns to what they would like people to say about them, kind of their last words about their their pastor, you know. And so the Catholic priest said, "Well, I would like someone to look at my casket and say, well, he was a a really righteous man. He was godly and honest, and he was always very generous." And everybody kind of nods, and then the, the rabbi says, well, I would like people to, to say about me, well, he was very kind and fair, and he was always really good to his parishioners. 
and so they, they kind of nod. And then the preacher says, you know what, what, I'd like someone to look in my casket and for the last words, look in my casket and say, look, he's still moving. <laughs> all right, that's, that's all I got for jokes this morning. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So thanks for uh, humoring me and laughing at that joke. But I, wa- I want to look at the book of Acts. You've been in the book of Acts for several weeks here. And I want to look. Uh, it's a great, a great book that tells the story of the first century church. It begins at Pentecost, the very first day of the church, and ends in this very strange spot. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, you may want to open to the book of Acts, chapter 28, verse 31. And you can look at, at, um, at what the last verse of the book of Acts says. And, uh, but I think it's interesting if we look at the last word. But Acts 21, at 2831, uh, if you've got the NIV, which would be the, the books that are, the Bibles that are out here in the lobby, uh, the last verse records, uh, he, being the Apostle Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And, uh, and so the story here is the Apostle Paul, uh, about halfway through the book of Acts, got arrested and charged uh, for setting, for, for this riot that he created uh, kind of accidentally, and, uh, and then he was going to be uh, tried for all this. He said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. And so he appealed all the way up to Caesar, and so he went on this big, long journey all the way to Rome, and now he is under house arrest in Rome awaiting trial. And so we get to the end of the book of Acts, and so he proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. If you look in the New American Standard Version, rather than the NIV, it reads this way, Paul was teaching concerning Jesus with all openness unhindered. And that's the, the final word that I want to talk about today. It's not a redneck final word, but uh, the last word I want to talk about is that word unhindered. I think it's really fascinating that that's the final word in the book of Acts. One reason is because it's the only time this Greek word, akalutos, is the fancy word in Greek, it's the only time it ever appears in the whole Bible. That the, 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 the Bible writer, Luke, who, who wrote uh, the book of Acts, he chose this very special word only used once in the whole Bible to describe what was going on here at the end of the book of Acts. It's unhindered. And I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of irony here, if you think about it, that the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, and it says that the, the gospel story in his life is unhindered. Do you see the, almost the play on words that, the, that Luke is using, that he is bound, but his story is unhindered? Do you get that? I, think it's pretty, I don't think it's an accident that he chooses that word to describe the disparity between what's going on. He, he's under a house arrest in chains, and his story is unhindered. And uh, we can think about it in our day today. We could talk a long time. We could probably sit around and get up into groups and talk about different ways that in the United States here, there is certainly an attack on our religious liberties. And we're not going to get into politics a whole lot today. Uh, but you could think about probably we could make a list of five or six ways that compared to 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago, our religious liberties are not as, as wide as they used to be. And then we're not just talking about uh, birthday cakes and flowers and who you can sell them to, uh, but you can think about the stories about like uh, high school valedictorians that are told during your speech uh, to your audience you're not allowed to reference God in your speech. Or uh, there was a recent story, maybe you remember the, the chief surgeon at a hospital in uh, Atlanta was also a pastor, a bivocational pastor at his church. And he was fired from his chief surgeon job at the hospital because someone went on their church website and didn't like some of the things that he said in one of his sermons. And so he, he was fired. And so that's an attack on religious liberty. Or uh, I could tell you personally, uh, one of the stories that many of you may not know that 20, 
five plus years ago before I became a pastor, I was a high school math teacher. I taught Greek calculus and trigonometry, fun stuff like that. And, uh, and when I was teaching, uh, the, the last year that I was teaching, we got a notice from the state of Kentucky where I taught and uh, that, that the new ruling had come down from the state of Kentucky that it was now considered illegal for a teacher to have an unopened Bible sitting on their desk. Not opened, but if it was closed and sitting on their desk, it w- that was illegal in the state of Kentucky. And uh, even if it was in a st- stack of several books unopened on a stack, that was illegal. You were, as a representative of the state of Kentucky, you were not allowed to have a Bible on your desk. And I thought that was nuts, obviously, but that was an attack on religious liberties. And we could make a list of all those kind of things all day long. Uh, but at the end of the day, when people ask us, no one can stop us from telling our story. If we think about uh, even internationally, we've got it pretty easy it's in the United States, don't we? If we compare to what's going on around the world, uh, that, that's, has, that's nothing. Uh, one example would be uh, my sister, Amy, and her uh, husband, Mark, were missionaries in uh, Laos, which is a militaristic communist state to this day. It's the most militaristic communist state on the globe. Uh, and uh, so they were missionaries there. And in their town, we got a picture here of their town. This is Luang Prabang. Can you, everyone will say Luang Prabang, say that five times fast. This is the town, it, and it was uh, kind of the, the northernmost capital, the old capital of the, of the country of Laos, uh, and, uh, and they had all these temples, and it's, it's beautiful up in the mountains. Uh, but Luang Prabang was noted because there was a prison that was in this town that we got to see that was a prison just for Christians who had been arrested, and they, you were there until you denied your faith. And you, d- you didn't let out. You weren't let out of it until you're, and uh, so, and there were people, and it was full, and we, we saw that, and the, the Christians there would often go and pray around the, the perimeter of the, the prison and pray for those who are captives there. And in, the, in their church that they had there, believe it or not, that once or twice a year, they would have small group leaders uh, that would be arrested in the middle of the night, and they would just disappear. Husbands, dads, they would just disappear uh, because they were leaders of their church. And yet, here's the baffling thing to me. This is a whole other sermon. Uh, but uh, they still had people sign up to lead small groups. And I think about that for a minute. If you have, were under the risk of not just losing your job, but you were at risk of just disappearing, leading a, a group in your home. But they, they had people do that. So uh, the, the attacks on religious liberty are uh, everywhere. I've got a friend who is a pastor of a large mission organization, Ajay Lal, in central India. And he recently sent this pic- these pictures on Facebook of one of his pastors uh, in uh, India. And he wrote on the, on the Facebook post, he said, this is our evangelist, Ram Nath. He was beaten by extremists when coming back from sharing the gospel. This is the third time for him this year. He continues to do what Jesus has asked him to do. Please remember him and your family in your prayers. And so we could talk a long time about the attacks on religious liberty, but I don't want to get into that day, but give us a sense of that no matter how you're attacked or no matter what restrictions you have, at the end of the day, when someone asks you, they notice that there's something different in your life, no one can stop us from telling our story, regardless of the laws that are in place to say, well, you can't have a Bible on your desk. Well, that's true, but if someone asks me my story, I can still tell it to them, can't you? And because the gospel is unhindered, even when people try to contain it and govern it, the story of Jesus in our lives remains unhindered. And so uh, I think it's really fascinating that while the Apostle Paul was under, under house arrest, the, the, the book of Acts stops with this word unhindered. And so what I want to do today, kind of quickly, uh, how long does 
does Rob preach, by the way? When I saw the schedule for today, they, it said 22 minutes, and, uh, and I've, already, I've already wasted like 10 of my minutes, right? So I've got I to do this quickly, and there's no, there's no clock in here either, so I can go as long as I want. So, uh, so I want to look kind of quickly at this, this account of uh, an interaction Jesus had in the Gospel of John, the fourth biography on the life of Jesus. And so it's John chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to open that up. I want to summarize it for you. It's one of my favorite stories because I think when you read between the lines, I think there's just some funny things happening in there as you, as you read between the lines. And so I want to look at that. It's the story of the man born blind. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking through town, and they came along, uh, and they saw this guy who, whom the Bible says had been blind since birth. So you know, however old he was, uh, he had never seen. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so then it says that Jesus, there's a little interaction, but then it says Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud, and he wiped it on the guy's eyes. And I, I think that's awesome, don't you? I mean, if you are a germaphobe, you've got a problem with the way that Jesus is healing people because Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and then he puts it on the guy's eyes. And I think that's awesome uh, for a number of reasons. Number one is, how much spit do you have to have to make, a, to make mud? You know, and we could, I, I don't want to get into this, but this is a lot of spit that we're talking about uh, to make enough mud to wipe on a guy's eyes. So I just think that's hilarious that I have to say, he's hawking a loogie here, right? It's like, it's like, this is a lot of, and he's w- rubbing it on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him, you need to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and, and then you'll be healed. And so he does. He walks to the pool of Siloam, and he washed, and it says he came home seeing. For the very first time in his life, he was able to walk home and see where he's going. And so it's a tremendous story about Jesus healing someone. Uh, and then the Bible records in, in John uh, chapter 9 for us that uh, the neighbors started noticing that he was different. It was pretty obvious. This is the blind boy that had been next door neighbor for them their whole life, and all of a sudden he's walking around seeing. And so they, it says that there's this conversation. They said, "Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg?" And some claimed that he was. That that was him. And others in the neighborhood said, "No, it just looks like him." And I think that's hilarious. No, it's not him. It just kind of looks like the the blind boy, even though he's kind of disappeared. There's this new guy that looks like him walking around the neighborhood. And, uh, and I think it's funny because the, it's, the Bible records that the blind man says, no, that's me, like that. I can just imagine him going, no, th- that's me, really. And uh, so um, he says, I am the man. And then they ask, so how did your eyes get open? And uh, he, he says, well, this, this dude they call Jesus walks through town, made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash, and then I could see. And so there's the story is, is his neighbors noticed that there was this change in his life, and, and he was able to tell his story of how his life had changed. Well, then there's a, a little twist in the story uh, when you read chapter 9. It says, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was, guess what? It was the Sabbath. And the Old Testament had all these laws about what you weren't able to do on the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And somehow, the Pharisees back in the old days had decided that even doing miracles was work. Uh, which I don't know how you define miracles as work, but they define miracles as work. So if you're going to do miracles, you got six days a week to do a miracle, but not on Saturday. And so Jesus is walking down the, through the mall on Saturday, sees this blind guy, heals him, but now that's a problem. And so they brought the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees, which what kind of neighbors are this, that they're ratting out their neighbor and bringing him into the Pharisees and telling on, on him that he had been, the, uh, that he'd been healed on the, the Sabbath. 
And so they, the Pharisees have this little hearing right here on the spot, and they ask the blind man how he had received his sight, how he had, had be started being able to see. And so he puts, uh, the, the, the blind man says, well, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And so some of the Pharisees said, well, this dude Jesus can't be a godly man. He can't be from God because no one would do something like this on the Sabbath day. But then others of the Pharisees would say, well, certainly a non-godly man, a sinner, would, you know, uh, wouldn't be able to do this unless they were a godly man. And so they were kind of divided among themselves and they were having this theological debate about, what, about this dude named Jesus. And so, so they turned to the blind man again and they asked him, so what do you have to say about him? And uh, it was your eyes that he opened. And so somehow they're going to try and settle their theological argument from this, this blind guy and not a, not a theologian. And so he says, well, he's a prophet. And that's the best he could come up with. And so at this point, they don't believe the, the, the blind man's story. And so they said, go get his parents. And uh, so the scholars would, would guess uh, that the, the man was probably in a teenager or college age. And so they brought the parents in. And, uh, and they said, is this your son, and is he the one you say was born blind? I love that, fra that word, say. You say he was born blind. Like maybe you, he's been faking it his whole life uh, just so that he could sit and not get a job and beg at the, in there instead of going out and getting a real job. And so how is it that he can now see? And so the Bible records that the parents answered and said, I think it's, I think it's funny what they said. They said, well, we do know he's our son, and we do know that he was born blind. But as for the rest of it, we don't know. Go ask him. He's of age, which I think that's hilarious that they said, go ask him. So he must have been a teenager or college age, whatever. And so then they brought the, the guy back. He must have gone off because they said he had to summon the man to come back for this impromptu hearing. And they asked him, give glory to God. Tell the truth. Is Jesus a sinner or not? How, we know he's a sinner. What do you think? And uh, so he replied this, which is really famous if you know old hymns. He says, whether I, he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But this one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And so they ask him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Which they'd already gone through this before, right? And so he answered again and said, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Which I think is hilarious. And so then the, the, the story finishes by saying they hurled insults at him, uh, of course, because he's getting a little snarky right there. And so, uh, so I just want to look real quickly at some lessons about telling your story uh, from this account that we have in John chapter 9 that applies to all of us. And uh, so you look back at, at this, and the first thing I would say in verse 17, if you've got your Bibles, the, the Pharisees said, basically, tell us what you think about Jesus, that, that because the neighbors noticed that his life had been changed, that they said, so tell us about Jesus. And so here's the lesson I think that, that's really key for us. When people notice a change in your life, you're going to have special providential opportunities to tell your story. So be ready. That when people notice that you used to be this way and now you're this way, I think God's going to give you opportunities if you have the lenses on to see them for people to tell your story, you their story. And so you need to be ready for that. There's this great passage uh, in uh, First Peter, where Peter, who preached that first gospel sermon in the beginning of Acts, as we started the book of Acts, uh, he wrote a letter to the churches, and he wrote it this way. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I think if you're a scripture memory 
kind of person. If you're memorizing scripture, our son Timmy is over here, and, and as for the summer, he's having to memorize a different scripture each week of this summer that are kind of key Bible verses that I think anybody should know. And we haven't learned this one yet, Timmy, have we? But I think this is a great one where the Apostle Peter teaches all of us should be ready. And I think the, cr- the critical part of that is the, the phrase wh- should be ready to answer everyone that asks you. I think Christians have gotten this wrong a little bit over the years, that we are the one out there with a bullhorn kind of telling everybody whether they want to know or not. But Peter is is saying that people are going to notice something different in your life, and when they do and ask you about it, you've got to be ready to tell your story, just your simple story. We've got to be ready for that. Well, the second thing that we notice uh, very quickly in this story uh, is, um, that is the parents. I think the story of the parents is they deflect it. You know, they ask the parents, so is this your son? Was he born blind? What do you think? And they said, well, he is our son. He was born blind, but we don't know about this dude named Jesus. And, uh, and so they said, you know, they kind of pointed, go ask, the, go ask him. And it reminds me of that picture like this. This is what I think they kind of look like as they're like, you know, go, go ask our son. Uh, he's of age. We don't know. You know, and, and I was thinking this week, why were they so afraid to, to answer the religious leaders of the time? And the Bible actually gives us a clue that, that, that said because the religious le- leaders had already decided that anybody that would kind of support Jesus was going to be thrown out of the synagogue. And so the, the, the object of their, their fear was the religious persecution. But I think the basis of their fear was the fact that their lives had not been changed by Jesus yet right? That it was their son's life that had been changed. And so they were not able to tell a good answer to this question about Jesus because their lives have not been changed. And so it makes a, it makes a little sense why they were so easily saying, it wasn't us, ask, ask him. Well, the third thing that, um, that we can see, um, well, they, so my point here is the parents lacked courage because it was their lives who hadn't been changed by Jesus. The third thing that we can see, I think, is the, the most important point of this whole account from John chapter 9 is uh, he said, well, I, you know, I don't know all this stuff about Jesus, but this one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. And here's the point. When he didn't know all the theological answers, he just told his story. And isn't that powerful? I think most of us as believers feel like if we're ever going to be asked about Jesus, I, I need to go to, like, Bible college or seminary or stay up all night uh, watching all these theological YouTube things and and know all the Greek words and and all this kind of stuff. And and that's not the point here, is it? He didn't know any of the theological answers about this dude named Jesus, but he said, here's what I do know. I used to be blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. And so my question for you this morning is how would you fill in those blanks? If you're going to be ready to tell your story when someone notices in your life that your life is different, and, th- and you need to be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have, I think you've got to have this simple thing, this sim- see, these two blanks. I once was this, now I'm this. What is it for you? It's as simple as that. Because no one can stop you from telling your story. It's your story. And some people in this room might think, well, I don't have the greatest story. It's not this big phenomenal story that I used to be, and you fill in all the blanks of all the dramatic stuff. But here's the deal. It's your story. And no one can stop you from telling your story of faith. 
Well, the last one is kind of out of order. I should have put number four as number three and finished with the strong one. But I think it's hilarious how this dude gets snarky with the, 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 preach, the religious leaders. And he's like, oh, you want me to tell you again? Weren't you listening the first time? So what's the, now this is where we think as a teenager, right? Because he's getting kind of smart mouthed and he's telling the religious leaders, oh, you didn't listen the first time. You want me to tell you again? Or are you wanting to be converted also? And so he's getting a little cocky with them, but we'll change the word from cocky to confident. And that is when your life has been changed by Jesus, you can have confidence. Because the confidence is in the one that changed your life, not in you. And so, uh, so those are the four um, kind of real simple lessons, I think, about telling your story, that no one can stop you from telling your story. And that's what we see here. Even the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he is under house arrest, waiting trial, and yet the story of God's life in his God in his life is unhindered. It is unchained. It is without, you can't stop it. And uh, so uh, the interesting thing about to me about the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, is it kind of stops really abruptly. Don't you, don't you hate it when books or movies kind of stop abruptly? They don't end, they just stop. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I can remember that probably the best example that I could think about for this was back in 2002, I am not a Lord of the Rings fan. I didn't read any of the books growing up. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fan, Hobbit and all that? Many of you. I was not. But 2002 was the, the premiere of the second movie, Two Towers. And so me being a magnanimous husband, take my wife out on a date, and I choose a movie that she's going to like because she's read all those books multiple times. So we go to the premiere of Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. And, uh, and so, but I didn't get tickets in advance, didn't realize how big a deal this was going to be. And so we get there like five minutes before the movie and get our tickets. And this was before assigned seating on your smartphone. There were no smartphones in 2002. So we walk in and the only seats that there are two of are in the front row center. And so, and it was a big giant screen. And so it was so big that we had to watch part of the screen that we would look over here at one part, and then we had to look at the battle over here, and then you had to look. I mean, it was crazy uh, watching this. And so the movie goes on. I have no idea what's going on in this movie. And, uh, and so then it gets to the end, and Gollum talks about the spider Shelob, and then there's this picture of Mordor and Mount Doom. Here we've got a picture of that, and the movie ends just like that. It doesn't even end. It just stops. And, uh, and so there's this, there's this pause at the end of the movie because it kind of surprises everybody. And then there was a teenager, one or two rows behind us, that says what I think more than half of the people in the room were thinking. He says out loud, is that it? Like that. And me, not wanting to look like an idiot, lean over to my wife Lisa and said, is that it? Like that. And she says, it is, you know. And so this movie doesn't end. It just stopped. It, it just, and you have to go see movie number three almost immediately to figure out where the end of the story is going. And I think that's the way the book of Acts is. It doesn't end. It just stops. The Apostle Paul is in jail awaiting trial. We don't know if he's going to get to trial, if he's going to die in jail, if he's going to be released. We have no idea. It just ends saying the Apostle Paul's under house arrest and the story in his life, it remains unhindered. Th that, that's the end. And I don't think that's an accident, the way the, the gospel writers and the Bible writers put that. There, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but I think we are Acts chapter 29. I think that's what this means, is that we, the church of today, are Acts chapter 29, that we are the end of the story. 
And there's actually a church planting organization that's known around that we're only in the mid-Atlantic, three or four states. There's one called Acts 29 uh, that's a network around the country. They chose Acts 29 as their name because the churches of today are the end of the story of the book of Acts. I think it's brilliant. I wish I'd thought of that. But uh, they thought of it. We're Waypoint Church Partners. Uh, but we are, we are Acts 29. We're, we're the end of the story. Even when you go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, there's a passage that I love uh, to read, another Bible verse uh, that, uh, you could, that you could memorize, uh, that hints at the fact that the Bible talks about us 2,000 years later. And most people think that the Bible only talks about that generation from 2,000 years ago. And it's Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 38, is this famous passage where Peter finishes the, the first gospel sermon. And, um, and he, tells the, he finishes the sermon and uh, the people, the, the Bible says that people were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter, what should we do to be saved? And so he says, you need to repent and be, and be baptized, every one of you. So if you're wondering if everybody should get baptized, the answer is yes. Uh, and if you haven't done that, maybe you need to talk to someone here at Velocity about be being baptized, because the Apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Timmy, did you learn that one this summer? All right, that one's coming. All right, you got. All right, so um, so that's the that's the memory verse that I learned as a kid in vacation Bible school and church camp and whatever. But but verse thirty nine I think is really powerful. The the next verse says, and this promise is for you, and for your kids, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. And uh, and so that so he's saying the Apostle Peter is saying this is true for this generation for the next generation, and for people in churches for thousands of years, this promise that if you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about us. We are the end of the story. And no one can stop you from telling your story. And so when God gives you those divine opportunities, you need to be ready to tell that. I want to finish today uh, by this, uh, reading a little bit, just half of this thank you card that I received. When I... Uh, I received it from someone in this church about six years ago. When I was in Bible college a long time ago, uh, one of my professors said, you need to keep what, what we call back then a rainy day folder. And back then, we actually had folders. Uh, can you believe it or not? There were these paper things that were like this, and you stuck things in them. Uh, a rainy day folder for when you as a pastor are having a rainy day, uh, a day when you're a little depressed or, or not excited about things, you can pull some of those thank you cards out to remind you why you're doing what you're doing. And that was one of the best advice I got in my four years in Bible college. Uh, and, but this was in there from someone in this church. I'm not going to tell who it is. I didn't get permission to share all this. So an anonymous person at this church wrote, So for Lent this year, instead of giving something up, I've decided to write friends and family every day and tell them so how they've impacted my life. And it says day 23. Plain and simple, Tim. Velocity saved my life. Literally. I had grown up knowing Jesus, superficially loving him, but if you looked at my lifestyle, it spoke volumes about who I really was, past tense. I have learned so much about myself and changed and transformed since attending Velocity. Life lessons, life-changing lessons have been learned here. Thank you. And she goes on to tell some more mushy stuff uh, there. Uh, but uh, I think that's a, that's a beautiful picture of how easy it is to say, I used to be this way, and now I'm this way, and my life has changed. Because no one can stop you from telling your story. So be prepared when God gives you the opportunity.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all of us in this room are kind of like this blind man that we read about in this account today. We may not know all the theological answers. We may not understand all the politics of religion. But we can all tell our story that because you've changed our life, we used to be this way, but now we're that way. I pray you'd give us the courage that comes not from, and confidence that not comes from us and our story, but it comes from you because you're the one that's changed our lives to be ready to tell our story to people when they ask. Father, I'm thankful as I look around this room for all the people that I see in this room today whose lives have been changed. That because of your son and because of maybe even this church, the path of their faith journey has changed and it's more directly targeted at you. And right now we pray for more and more and more people who would come through these doors and whose life story would change because they, they interface and interact with your son Jesus. That's our prayer. It's our goal. It's our mission as a church. So thank you that we get to be involved in a venture that's your venture, that we start new churches, that reaches new people whose lives are changed, and they get to tell their stories just like we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.